What's up, everybody? It's Eric. I can tell you the license plate numbers of all six cars outside. I can tell you that our waitress is left-handed and the guy sitting up at the counter weighs 215 pounds and knows how to handle himself. I know the best, best place to look for a gun is the cab by the gray truck outside. And at this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Now, why would I know that? How can I know that and not know who I am? Hey guys, this is Joe. What is a French word for stakeout, huh? I'll give you $10,000 to drive me to Paris. I can't remember anything that happened before two weeks ago. Trained by the government. He's got a black ops agent. He's off the reservation. Taught to disappear. I don't even know who I'm hiding from. I gotta figure this out. Born to survive. You! Stop right there! On June 14th, Matt Damon. This is not gonna stop. Is Jason Bourne. What are you gonna do? I'm full of surprises. The Bourne Identity. Rated PG-13. At theaters Friday, June 14th. You're listening to Worth a Leafy, the podcast where two former video rental clerks watch movies that they may have recommended at one time and see if they still think that the film would be worth keeping an extra day or two to watch again, even if it meant paying a late fee. What's new, Joe? Nothing much, Eric. How have you been? <clears throat> I've been good. I've been good. We're getting it's uh we're recording this on March 9th, and it's supposed to be 50-something degrees out tomorrow or for high 40s. And right now there's like a decent amount of snow on the ground. It's so weird, man. New England. I know it sounds like so cliche to say that, but it's it's just wild. It is. I, I was so every time I go to my classes, uh, I've been like the last like four weeks I've been saying like because I see certain classes each week. So like I go to Ipswich one day and then I go to sounds like all these different schools. But every time I see them, we're always talking about the snowstorm that happened on a previous Friday. So it was nice for once not talking about a snowstorm that happened on a Friday. So that was a nice change of things, I guess. But now we have one today, like you said. So I was going to say, you talked about the one coming later that day. or But um, other than that, you've been watching anything good? or? So I saw the Batman movie. Oh, um, all right. I'm, I'm interested to hear your opinion. I really liked it. Like I was getting a ton of reviews, and I'm surprised because it's not really a Batman film. It's like a better version of Mystic River, where it's like a crime movie. Yeah. So it's very much focuses on the, the like detective side of things, and he's trying to figure out a mystery and trying to solve things. And it was really slower than I thought it was going to be, which I really appreciate. It's long, so, right? It's like three hours long or something. It's long, but I never felt bored of it. And like you, like you, I just see these movies now just because it's I kind of want to keep up with them. But I'm pretty burnt out of the whole superhero genre as well. But this didn't feel like a superhero movie. It felt like again seven, but with Batman costumes. So it's it was really interesting. Um, one of, if not the biggest movie podcasts in the world, Rewatchables with uh, Bill uh, Bill Simmons and his team. <clears throat> they this week did Batman from 1989. Oh, cool. And uh, they were talking about one thing they brought up is like, what effect do you think that had on the film industry? And they basically <clears throat> kind of agreed that as much as they like that movie and there's some there's some uh, superhero movies that they like that that movie kind of ruined the film industry because it it's it started you know it started that movement of and there was a break between that and the next ones but it made those movies hollywood finally figured out that those are like what a cash cow they are and it kind of ruined like you don't have to write a really great script anymore it's just about that Right, all the scripts are there from comic books. So, like the writers now are all the original authors who wrote thousands of issues of comics with these characters. So it's like picking and choosing now your favorite storyline. And you know what's so funny too is, 
so you have you have two types of people that go see those movies. Myself, I've never read a comic book in my life, but you know, maybe up until a few years ago, I would go see those. Like I, I saw like Batman Begins and all those as just entertaining action movies, right? <clears throat> and then you have the comic book people who will go see it and they'll either love it or they'll hate it and they'll say it doesn't live up to the comic book or it's strayed too far from the comic book line, but you know what though? They pay to go see it. Yep. So it's <clears throat> either way it's win-win, even if they go see it. Like you're, you're into comic books a little bit. I very go, much was in the past. Yeah. Not as right. as it used to be, but yeah. So you'll go see it. And even if, and you're maybe your brother too. So let's say you see it without your brother, you're going to tell your brother, Hey, this movie didn't line up with the comic book. It's so stupid. And you know what your brother's going to do? He's going to go see it to agree with you. So it's like, it's a win-win. You, I mean, as much as I hate what they are and what they've become, I totally understand why studios keep doing it. Oh, yeah. It's hard to not agree with, like, Scorsese and all these big directors, Coppola, who, like, kind of badmouth Marvel films, superhero films, because they are literally the only things that make money now in, in the theater sucks. Because like, you have right. other great movies that just kind of get just pushed aside, like... um. A movie coming out called Drive My Car, which is a foreign film, and no way it's going to do well because, again, it's not a superhero film, it's just a regular character drama. So it's, yep. it sucks how, how fun the market is with them, but yeah, like you said, it like keeping the box office alive, the theater's alive. So that's good. You have to keep the theaters alive. That's good. I gotta get back to the theater soon. I haven't been since I don't know a long time, so yeah. Um, you know what I also watched like real quick too? What's that? This has been something that was hyped up for a long time, but I finally watched the first episode. I watched Squid Game. You, you, I thought you'd already watched it. You find, okay. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I never I, I kept on I kept on like pushing aside. I actually watched like I'm gonna watch it tonight, I'm gonna watch it tonight. But then I'm like my brother's over and I'm like, you know, I'm like, let's just watch an episode of Squid Game. We both never seen it. We both love the idea of what that show is. We watched it, I'm like, damn, like I was I, I was surprised at how much that's where that was the characters like i'm yeah. actually like i thought this was like a just a gore fest where it's like just throw them in and like but there's actually a story about these characters which i was i appreciated i had the same so at first i didn't want to see it because adam my best friend adam told me that that he was watching it pretty much because he wanted the gore fest and i was like that's not really my thing you know whatever and then i think it was Bree's brother my wife's brother that told us like he was like, no, give it a shot. A, the gore is not that bad. And B, the story is really cool. And so <clears throat> we watched the first episode on his recommendation. And we were like, all right, I like it. And then we watched the second episode. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. I thought it was pretty good. And which was super. Yeah, it's something I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and keep up with. So it's, it's not an episode, so it's not going to hard watch either. So no, definitely finish it. Yeah. Um, Anything else you? you watch? No, oh, no, no. So, what, what are you watching? So I've been watching Snowfall. And like I said, I think I said this last week, I'm at the point now where it stinks because I have to watch on live TV. So instead of just, you know, binging it on Hulu where I'm like, that episode was amazing. All right, next one. Um, I have to wait. But new episodes out tonight. Uh, it's so, so good. It. I don't know if they've said if this is the last season or not. I kind of got that feeling from just like, but I hope it's there. It's almost like they're restarting the story in a good way now. And it's, 
it's so good and there's this character and it's scully and he's one of my favorite one of my favorite characters in any tv show um so i i'm just i'm just really loving that and then i also watched um have you seen on netflix munich edge of war oh man no i i just happened to go by the other day don't but i'm talking about it that that just came out right i yeah i think it's relatively new okay it's it's really good i i really liked it like you you kind of have to be like into it's it's a kind of a history movie i don't know if it's a um i think it's like based on a true story but it's not it's not a true true story but it's just an interesting point in history with you know it's kind of like the rise of hitler and people seeing him people in germany seeing him coming up and some of them are really into him some of them aren't and then you know i'm not spoiling anything that the story is is these two buddies who went to college together one of them's german one of them's british and they're each kind of like close to the leader so they're they're each involved in the government of their country so they're it's i think it's totally worth checking out if you can deal with a war-ish movie it's like the back of the behind the scenes stuff of war there's no battle scenes there's no because it's before the war but i really enjoyed it if you like those that sort of thing i I would say check it out yeah i did i did add to my list so something i will be checking out nice nice yeah i think i think you're like it and it's not super long either that's another good thing um so tonight while at joe or no I'll, I'll talk about what we're watching but before we talk about that i'm drinking i don't really have anything tied into this because i haven't been to uh unofficial sponsor of the pod rma recently oh i mean within the past five days so but i'm drinking uh widow uh it's widow lager pilsner or from Widowmaker brewing and it's it's good i i pilsners usually aren't my thing but aaron at rma recommended it so i was like oh you know he's usually good it's very good very refreshing so Widowmaker, we've used their we've drank their beer on the podcast before they're they're usually pretty much always good so no surprise there but you guys heard the trailer you heard our quotes including my quote that was like a paragraph long and i was nervous about but um so we're going to be talking about the 2002 action movie kind of spy thriller, The Born Identity. This is my pick. And like I said last week, I was going to pick a St. Patrick's Day movie because it would have lined up well where by the time this, this, this episode will get published probably on the 16th. So it would have been good for St. Patrick's Day, but I couldn't really find anything that was good. I didn't want to force it. And in my search, I saw The Born Identity and I was like, you know what? There's a movie I haven't seen in a long time. It's kind of the perfect rewatch because I, I really I don't think I've seen this movie start to finish in 15 years or something. It's, it's been a while. So and it kind of got lost in all the sequels and, and everything like that. But my first memory of it is I definitely saw this one in theaters. And I remember being so interested in the idea. And and like I know that this is it's exaggerated for film and all that stuff, but the idea that <clears throat> there are these people out there who are super skilled in different things and able to blend into different countries. And like I said, it's, it's a movie. I know it's not real life, but it's, it's just fun. And, and the coolest part of his character and like the idea of like characters like this is for me, it's not the fighting or the gun stuff. It's just, there's this guy out there who speaks like 12 languages and you can put him in any country on earth and he can just kind of blend in and be one of the people that that was the part that i liked that made this character i think different than a lot of other spy action movie stars is the, is the 
the fact that he was really smart. What about you? What's your memory of it? I actually, I actually saw this movie later. I ain't seen it until the movie scene days. So I never saw any of them in theaters. I think I rented them all with the taking advantage of the movie scene perks of getting free movies. I think I rented them all, or at least the first two movies, and then maybe watched this third one after. So I think the third one came out maybe close to when was movies in closed. So I think I rented, I rented the first two and I binged them. I really liked them. Yep. My coworker yep. kind of put that thought in my head there that they're awful <laughs> films. So I was like, oh God, like I went into a Ryan, of course. Oh God. For the people, I think Ryan will mention Ryan a couple of times on the podcast and there's all these crazy different stories about him, but <clears throat> movie-wise, Ryan's thing, he was a contrarian. So he would he would not allow himself to like if a movie came out and everyone liked it, he it didn't matter if it was Saving Private Ryan, he wouldn't allow himself to like it because it was like he's like you know like music people who are like oh that's so mainstream that was Ryan. Yeah. But anyway, sure. go ahead. No, for sure. Like and like so why I went to it, he was in the back of my mind the entire time watching these movies and I ended up liking them too. So it's I don't know I don't know the sequel as much as the first one, but the first one stuck with me for whatever reason. I actually started watching the sequel. I've seen the sequel, but I started watching the sequel um, this afternoon because I, after watching this, I was like, oh, I'll watch the sequel. It's on HBO as well. And the first 15 minutes, I haven't, I haven't finished it, but the first 15 minutes of the sequel are maybe 20 minutes are so good that I'm like, man, I kind of, I want to watch this. So I'm definitely going to finish the sequel, but I know, it's, I know this isn't about the second movie, but is it, is it a sequel to like a direct sequel to the first one? Because I can't remember now. Yes. Same yes. characters, like the same woman's in it and all that? Or... Yep. yep. Okay. <clears throat> so do you have any stats as far as how this one did? I do. Anchor? Yeah. So The Born Identity came out on June 14th, 2002. and had a budget of $60 million, making $214 million in the box office. It was written by Tony Gilroy and William Blake Heron. Tony Gilroy wrote all four Bourne movies, including directing the fourth one, starring Jeremy Renner, which I have not seen. I was just going to ask you. I haven't seen that either. Um, he also wrote Proof of Life, Duplicity, Reuniting Him with Clive Owen, did the adapt- adaptation of Armageddon, which was a past episode, co-wrote Star Wars Rogue One, and wrote, uh, wrote and directed Michael Clayton, which earned him an Oscar nomination. Have you and seen that? I have, yeah. Is it good? I liked it. Yeah, it was really good. I have it saved. I have it saved on one of my, I don't know what streaming service it's on, but I have it saved somewhere and I've been meaning to watch it. So yeah, I've only seen it once, but I'm not really liking it. Cool. Um, He also did the great wall, which reunited him at. (laughs) Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, His most recent work is writing a new Star Wars spinoff premiering this year on Disney plus. And William Blake Heron now doesn't have as much much of an extensive resume, but he did create, create the TV series <laughs> Agent X back in 2015, wrote the screenplay for A Texas Funeral, and uh, wrote the story for Role Models. He also nice. uh, has done some shorts and single TV episodes. The Born Identity was directed by Doug Lehman, who has had a pretty good track record. He directed Swingers, another pass with Lacey episode. Love that movie. I know, that was your pick, yep. yep. The first three Born movies, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Edge of Tomorrow, which is a great <clears throat> film. The Wall, and most recently, Chaos Walking, as of last year. Um, as for the TV side of things, he directed numerous episodes of the show you may or may not have heard of, The O.C. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> was, I actually watched the episode for, for the first time uh, two minutes ago. We watched the pilot. So What'd she think? Like, she liked it. She said, 
I, I'm scared of overhyping it. So I kind of take my time with this show because I don't want to like overhype it and be or like get let down. So I'm kind of yes. a little easy with this one. So <laughs> um, he also directed some episodes of Suits, Cover Affairs, and most recently Pearson in 2019. And I also need to make note that The Born Identity is based off the book by Robert Ludlum. And not sure how accurate this is, but I ended up watching an interview with him that was like from the 80s, it looked like. And they mentioned that he started writing at the age of 40, which if that's true, that little tip is pretty cool because he's had since then so many success stories. So that's wild. Super cool how he started late in his uh, life. Yeah, the, the, what you said about Powell, <clears throat> that is key is you have to like let people watch a movie or a show on their terms yeah. at, at their speed. Like you can't, you can ruin a show. I've done that with, with my wife where whether it's a show or a movie, you're, you just like force them to watch it and they're like not in the mood to watch it and then they end up not liking it. Right. Whereas if you let, but then there have been other movies that have like let her come around to and then like one night she's like, oh, we can watch that. I'm like, all right. And then because they watch it with an open, and I'm the same way with her. Like if yeah. she tells me to watch a certain movie, uh, if you try to like force me to do it, I'm like, no, no, no. So no, that's, that's, that's definitely well played. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I definitely, I don't talk about it as much as like what I do with you, like you're not going to watch it. So I can brag about it and like write about it and praise it all I want. I know, you know, you know what, you're not going to watch it. So with her though, I'm just like, <laughs> down notch, so. yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah, you have to have that. You almost have to wait for them to be like, hey, we should check out that OC show. And you're like, right. oh, okay. I, I've only seen one. So it's yeah, I heard out. it's okay. <laughs> um, so that was how it did financially. Critically, 7.9 out of 10 on IMDb, 84% on Rotten Tomatoes, three stars from Ebert, whose scores often don't line up with the, the written review. So this is uh, an excerpt from his review. The Born Identity is a skillful action movie about a plot that exists only to support a skillful action movie. The entire story is a setup for the martial arts and chases. Because they are done well, because the movie is well-crafted and acted, we give it a pass. Too bad it's not about something. Which I kind of agree with that. And I, the score, I kind of agree with the score, but that seems like a worse review than a three-star review but we've talked about it before ebert's weird with you know the scores that he gives <clears throat> compared to the review so stuff that was going on in the world at that time in theaters june we said it was june 2002 minority report came out a week later so another kind of similar action sort of movie also bad, bad company divine secrets of the IO sisterhood uh scooby-doo wind talkers lilo and stitch and you want a man. <laughs> so, I've heard that in a long time. Yeah, well, yeah. I hope I never hear it again. For when that come out? 2002, you said? yeah, yeah. So same can, same so month. We, so we can do that, okay. We can, <laughs> yeah. I will quit the podcast. <laughs> um, outside of uh, film, uh, Evander Holyfield beat Haseem Rahman. Rahman, uh, The Wire debuted. Avril Lavigne released her debut album. American Idol also premiered. Legendary hockey coach, Hall of Fame hockey coach Scotty Bowman retired, and Lennox Lewis beat uh, Mike Tyson for the for the belt. So, pretty good. The, month. the, the Wire came out. Okay, the that's Wire, a pretty, that's yeah, a pretty big one. Yeah, the big moment in my life. Even though I didn't watch it when it first came out, but yeah, still. Um, back of the DVD summary. What do you got? The story of a man salvages near death from the ocean 
by an Italian fishing boat. When he recuperates, the man suffers from total amnesia without identity or background, except for a range of extraordinary talents in fighting, linguistic skills, and self-defense that speak of a dangerous past. He sets out on a desperate search, assisted by the initially rebellious Marie, um, to discover who he really is and why he's being lethally pursued by assassins. So there's a couple scenes. I meant to make notes of these, but I didn't. So I'm going to just try to like, if I, if we happen to touch on one, I want to mention it. A couple of scenes where I couldn't help but think like, what would you do if you were that guy or that girl? And if you're the guy, the fisherman, and you find this body, and then you're like cutting him open to take out the bullets, you're trying to help him. And then he wakes up and he's like, first of all, you find that like chip in him or whatever that's light that sends out a, a bank account code or whatever that was. You're like, what the hell? And then the guy attacks you. That talk about like no good deed goes unpunished. You know what I mean? Like you you rescue this body from the river, you pull the or from the from the ocean, you pull the bullets out of him, and then you're trying to help him on this like lethal assassin starts beating the crap out of you. Like what a that's a bad day. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I, I I like the opening of this movie too. You, like, you're kind of like right into it, and that's from the from the second one, from from the little bit of what I watched of the second one, rewatching it again. I've seen it before, but it's kind of similar. Within the first five or ten minutes, you're like, okay, I'm in. So, some major cast members and how they were doing going into this movie. So the big one, obviously, is Matt Damon, Jason Bourne. The world definitely he was he had already kind of burst onto the scene in 2002 then everyone loved him already but this is kind of a, a big move in his career it was a little bit something different and like his movies before so before this he was in like cards in a fire in 96 chasing amy the rainmaker goodwill hunting in 97 saving private ryan and rounders in 98 but this one is kind of the, oh and also dogma talented mr ripley in 99 uh, Ocean's Eleven in 2001. But this is kind of the first one where he's definitely the main character in Goodwill Hunting, but he's expected to carry the movie in a different way in this. And he didn't write this one. So this is, it's a totally different thing. So Ocean's Eleven, Born Identity in uh, 2002, and then both Ocean's and Born Identity had sequels that he was involved with. Later on, obviously, you know, The Departed, Syriana, Good Shepherd, The Informant, uh, Invictus, Green Zone, True Grit, uh, the Monuments Men, Interstellar, The Martian, quite a few more. Most recently in Stillwater and The Last Duel. And The Last Duel is saved on my HBO Max list, or actually it was until today. And I removed it from my list because <clears throat> I was looking for something to watch. And I was like, that movie just looks so weird. Like I wanna I wanna like it because it's it's got Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. But it's like two and a half hours, and it just looks so strange. So, have you, have you seen that? I haven't. I, I went to see it theaters, but it didn't last long at all. Like, I get at the box office as well, like a box office flop. And uh, who directed that movie? It's a big name I, director. I can't remember now. I'll I'll look it up. But so, did you like it or no? No, I didn't even see it. I meant to, but I never got around. The oh, I left there is so fast. I remember it being a huge, not maybe not not a huge, but it was a box office. Ridley flop. Scott. Ridley, Ridley Scott. Scott. Yes, he came out bad mouthing again the uh, superhero films, I believe, and. All the all the millennials he called uh, he called everyone because they wouldn't see his movie. <laughs> so. That's the that's the most like that's the go to like grumpy old right. white guy thing. Oh, you damn millennials with your <laughs> your rap music and your baggy jeans. Um, so anyway, uh, moving on in the cast, 
Uh, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing this wrong, but Franca Potent, Potente, she plays Marie. I think she's freaking awesome in this. She's a German actress. Um, she's known for Run Lola Run, Blow, uh, this as well as the sequel, Che in 2008, The Conjuring 2, uh, Anatomy, Princess and the Warrior, Creep, Muse, and more. But I thought she was awesome in this. Her, her like expressive face like she she did a great she she would kind of show you that she was like saying what the fuck without saying it it was just like she does a good like just jaw drop face you know what i mean yeah did you ever see a run the run i did I, it's been a long time but i did yeah. yeah it's been a long time those were my first blu-ray purchases i think way back when that, that was a really cool movie i remember it taking place in real time so like she has to get yeah. to a certain point at this amount of time and like it's real based on like what we're seeing as well so it's yeah really cool concept it is it's good chris cooper so he plays conklin who's kind of like the closest contact to born he's like his supervisor who's running the whole show at least for a while so he's known for i mean he's been in a million things he's known for american beauty october sky sea biscuit capote syriana the kingdom where the wildings are the town where he plays ben affleck's dad in prison um the Muppets uh, adaptation, which he got a Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor, uh, The Patriot, and then, but like I said, he's one of those actors where he's he's work, he's at a steady, you know, piece of work for a long time. So good for him, uh, and he's good in this movie too. He's he's perfect for this role. Julia Stiles as Nikki, who one thing after rewatching it. I remember her being a way bigger part of the movie. Yes, that's what my complaints was about her actually. But the idea of like she like really had not 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 a huge impact in the movie, huh? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, and she's such an interesting actress from like that era, the early two thousands, started in the late nineties, but early two thousands. Very well known for Ten Things I Hate About You, a movie we've we've covered on the podcast before. Um, also in Down to You with uh, Freddie Prince Jr. Um, State in Maine, Stayed the Last Dance, O, uh, Born Supremacy, the sequel of this. Um, and then she kind of had to slash wanted to, whatever, switch it up from like the high school and the early 20s roles. And she kind of figured out that comedy may not have been her thing. You know, see a guy thing with Jason Lee. That's, that's, that's a good example of it not being her thing. Um, <laughs> she did The Omen. Uh, Between Us with Tay Diggs, Silver Linings Playbook. Uh, she was on, on Dexter. And then she was recently, one of her big hits quasi recently was Hustlers. So still a steady career. And if you compare her to a lot of the actors that were in those 90s, you know, like 10 Things I Hate About You, a lot of them kind of fizzled out. Like even Freddie Prince Jr., who I like, he hasn't had probably the longevity that that she has. All right. Clive Owen, as yeah, I forgot he was in this movie. Clive Owen, going back to this, it's like, damn man, dude, I I loved him in this because it was he he. You don't get a lot from him, but it's cool to see him. He looks totally different. Like he looks, yeah. and he looks perfect for the part because he looks. The thing I like, one of the things I like about this movie is like Matt Damon in this, and the reason Matt Damon's well cast for this is you have to 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 play the the role of like one of these agents that are in this group, uh, the Treadstone group, you have to look like, you have to be able to be tough looking or badass, but you also have to look really smart. Yeah. And Clive Owen pulls that off. Yeah, um, I, I didn't add this in my, uh, like what I would change, but I really, I, 
I, I kind of wish he was more of like the big baddie because he was like they built him up so much in the beginning and then like he gets taken out kind of like knack too but i really wish he was the no no this isn't like a nitpick because i didn't add this but like i wish right. he was a bigger villain than he ended up being so he was super cool yeah and his impact for the amount of time that he's on the screen is huge yeah, like really is. He's, he doesn't have a ton of screen time but he changes the film in a lot of ways so yeah, he plays one of the guys but probably the biggest one that goes out to get to catch jason Bourne to to kill jason Bourne. um and this is kind of the beginning of him in america he had other movies before this and he had closed my eyes in 91 and he got some notice in the acting community but as far as like in america people knowing who he was um this is one of his first big breaks so and i i love clive owen he's one of my favorite actors who who i wish acted more than you know was still getting bigger roles but other movies he's involved in uh uh sin city derailed inside man which is one of my favorite movies of all time children of men i'll sleep when i'm dead and then they can't all be winners so he's in like shoot them up and a bunch of other things but he's um am i missing anything he's no, I, I think like you covered a lot of his like bigger films for sure. Like, we, yeah. it's fine. We brought Children of Men twice now, two weeks in a row. We've had Julie Moore last week. Yep. Now, uh, like this week. Yep. I know. I actually looked for that today uh, on my TV to see if that's streaming anywhere for free. Because I was like, oh, I could, I could go for watching that. Because that's not a long movie too. So that's that's another thing that I, I like. So, um, and then last one I wanted to mention was Brian Cox. He plays kind of the. Chris Cooper's supervisor is Ward Abbott. So he's like uh, Chris Cooper's right above Matt Damon. And then Brian Cox's character is above Chris Cooper. So insane career, Scottish actor, which I think I kind of forgot. He's known for Rob Roy, Braveheart, The Long Kiss Goodnight, Nuremberg, Super Troopers, The Born Identity, The Ring, Adaptation, Troy, Red Eye, Deadwood, Zodiac, and secession most recently this is you know if you if you just started watching tv and film in the past couple of years you know him from secession so solid cast but i like that it wasn't a cast where I, like like picking i'm sure they had access to other people other than that franca potent i'm sorry again if i'm pronouncing your name wrong but they picked the right one they didn't just go with like oh let's pick the biggest name so i like that would you have down for our uh, random facts trivia stuff? I had a few. Um, I had four of them. So the first one I have is Matt Damon climbed down that uh, the last three feet of that building himself with a stunt double. He called it the most grueling thing I had to do. Can you imagine that? No, that's <laughs> I can't insane. Either. <laughs> I, I was just thinking like the grip strength of like trying to grab in between, like because it's not like he's on a ladder, he's, right? Yeah, no, it's wild. And and I was thinking maybe this maybe I'm going to answer my own question, but in the movie there's like snow and everything so i'm like is that real snow because your hands would be freezing oh i know but anyway go ahead matt damon went through hundreds of hours of gun training so he'd look comfortable holding a weapon and duffy paid off yep brad pitt was off of the role of jason Bourne, but turned down to do spy game and this little the last one i have is the red bag that Bourne uses uh is now owned by Adam Savage of Mythbusters and contains all the props that Jason pours onto the desk in his house in Paris. So I, as a fan of that movie, that. that's super cool. <laughs> I saw that. That's cool. And um, the Brad Pitt thing, that's kind of what I was talking about when, when I was saying that I love the casting in this movie. Um, because I buy 
I don't even know if I buy Brad Pitt as a tough guy either, but the thing I really the thing that Matt Damon, I think does well, does better than Brad Pitt is to, and I'm not saying Brad Pitt's probably a very smart guy, but Matt Damon just looks smarter if that makes sense. So, yeah. And it's funny because Doug Lee ended up reuniting with him anyways, Brad Pitt. And I think 2005, do Mr. Mr. Smith. So either yeah. way, he got his Brad Pitt. <laughs> yeah. And Action movies, movie. so, right? yeah. yeah. All right. So I had, I had one or two of those and I have a couple other ones. The name born comes from Ansel Bourne, a preacher in Rhode, in Rhode Island. The first documented case of dissociative fugue, a condition not unlike dissociative amnesia or dissociative identity disorder, multiple personality. Uh, so basically his deal is one day in 1887, he forgot who he was. He started a whole new life in Pennsylvania under the name Brown, and he opened up a convenience store. About three months later, he woke up and not only remembered his life, his previous life as born, but forgot all of his life as Brown. So his life just kind of flipped. And so that's where the name comes from. Matt Damon trained in the Filipino art, martial art of Kali for the movie. Kali involves using the aggressor's energy against him and conserving your own energy. Doug Lyman wanted the camera operator to be late moving. So one of the camera, yeah, to be late moving with the camera, adding an edge to the photography. So he didn't let them watch rehearsal. That way he wouldn't know which character spoke next. So he just kind of like, he was following the action with, with that's the viewer. Really cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, and I don't think it gets too herky-jerky. Some movies that do stuff like that, it get a little too... Oh, yeah. You know, this one did not. So I could easily follow the action. Like, that, that actually made, like, that's one of, that's one of the, best, the choreography in this movie, the action. So right. they definitely do a good job with that. And the last one I have is because of 9-11, the producers decided to make the film more relevant by discarding the opening and closing sequences and replacing them with alternates. The story originally opened in Mykonos with the plot told in flashbacks. So you would have got that there on that surf shop or whatever. Although the closing remained in Mykonos, it was rewritten and omitted Abbott's character from the sequence. So that's pretty much it. Stuff that wouldn't fly in today's environment. Did you have anything? No, I didn't. Same. It's a spy movie. People are going to get killed. People are going to get whatever, but there was nothing. Yeah, no, nothing, nothing that bothered me. So we'll move on then. Favorite scene. So I actually like the car chase scene. It's one scene that stuck with me. Um, and one thing I was kind of anticipating on my rewatch, because I've been seeing this probably like you said, like the movie scene days here. It's still awesome. And it really makes you miss the uh, when car chase sequences didn't use a ton of CGI and explosions and all that. This was all real cars and real stunt drivers. And you really miss that. Um, I remember when I saw this, I was amazed by that scene back then. I still think it looks awesome. And now movies are starting to kind of go back to that old school formula, thankfully, with uh, a recent thing I can think of is Mission Impossible Fallout, if you've seen that movie. Really cool, long, actually sequence without CGI, and really makes you appreciate those sequences. I'll, I'll tell you what the, the recent movie, like relatively recent movie that I think of that I was like, that's a good car scene for the car chase scene for the first time in a while, is The Town. And the reason it's so good is because it's set in Boston in the North end where roads, the road is like 10 feet wide and there's no room. And it's similar to this, like a lot of the best car chase scenes, whether it's like this, the Italian job in Europe, in these super old towns where the road is again, like, it's like you can barely fit one car down, let alone 
right? two or yeah. three. Yeah, and I agree. It's as much as I like. I said last week, I'm a I'm a fan of Fast and Furious. It got a little ridiculous with cars like missling from one bridge to another, and I mean, you know, no it's it's fun. The latest movie, right? <laughs> right. right. You, accept, you just gotta go into that accepting it. Right, but no, but I I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, but that scene that obviously, like you just mentioned, the cast is probably you. Pro- I probably wouldn't make any changes with this cast. They're all great. They do their job. I really can't see anyone else playing those parts. Same. So my favorite scene, we kind of talked about this earlier, and this is weird because it's it's my favorite scene, but I'll agree with you that I would have liked it to be a little longer, but I love the scene that starts when they wake up at Eamon's farmhouse. So uh, Marie's friend, whatever they were, I don't know if they were like related, they had different accents. I don't know what the whole yeah. story was. I don't know if they were her kids. <clears throat> they, made you, they made you think like, like they had that, that history because he's like, they're in the kitchen. He's like, oh, uh, is this, is this, is he good for you? Almost like he was like kind of like, yeah. Uh, so I was like, I know what they were either. Yeah, what their relationship was. Yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, so they're at that guy's farmhouse and the kids point out that the dog's missing and born. Because again, like I said in the beginning, my favorite part of his character isn't the fact that he's like a badass fighting wise, or that he can, he's good with a gun. It's like his mind is constantly working, you know? And Bourne just puts together that something's up and he tells them, you guys have to go down to the basement. And then the showdown between Matt Damon and Clive Owen is great because although they are shooting guns and things are blowing up, it's more of like a chess game where they're trying to draw each other out by like Bourne knows to shoot the oil tank or propane tank, whatever it was, to create smoke for cover. And then he shoots in the field to startle the birds and I think make noise or something. I don't know what the whole point of that was, but yeah, I think I just, the birds, I think <clears> the <throat> birds making the noising above noises above him was he couldn't hear the footsteps of right. Right. And then as Clive Owen's character is so I could have done with that. I could, I wish that there was more of that, like too. a more back and forth. Yeah, me too. But I loved it. So um, and then as Clive Owen's character is dying, Bourne gets to learn a little bit more about who he is, what he does. And that's why I say, like, for the amount of time that Clive Owen's on camera, let alone talking, he's only talking for like a minute. And it's a huge shift in the in the story. So <clears throat> I really like that that one. I can't remember. Did you um did you have you seen the James Bond movies, the Daniel Craig ones? I've seen I think a couple of them, not all of them. Okay, because the last the, the ending to Skyfall. It's kind of like what I wish what this was, a standoff almost. Like okay. that's pretty much one whole act. Cause like I said, Clive Owen's a, a badass, but they had to, I guess, continue with the rest of the villains and write him off quickly. But yeah, it could have been a really cool scene if that was a bit longer. Well, that's a good actually first uh, soundtrack. Comments, questions, concerns. It's funny because like just like again, going back to last week, uh, the score was composed by John Powell again. So he did the movie, the, oh. the last film, to this one. Um, I won't go into his resume as extensive as it, as it did last time, other than his amazing Hutcher and Dragon soundtrack. Um, but this one wasn't as good as my, in my opinion as his previous work. But that might also be because the score in this movie is kind of minimal to begin with. It really wasn't a focus. So yeah. like when the movie ended, I didn't really. Walked up being like, damn, that score was awesome. I was like, taking, as I'm taking, note, taking notes as I'm watching it, nothing really like came out to like popped on me after, as I was watching it, other than the credits. But yeah, the songs that came up were good, and he's amazing. But this movie just really isn't the most memorable, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with that, and I and I think I also agree with the exception that you made that the end credits, the Moby song. Not a Moby fan, 
but I think that song was like a perfect the rhythm of that song is just like and it goes on like it's it's just like yeah. you know what I mean it, so I thought that was that that was good but I agree with you that that's the only thing I even remembered yeah so um now if you could change one thing so I already mentioned this a little bit but some of the characters I feel weren't really needed as they were just there were tons on screen and they kept on introducing new characters throughout the movie instead of having a focus on a select few. Yep. Julia Stiles parts being one of them. Um, and this is kind of a weird one. I'm usually all about like the love interest and happy endings, but with the focus on this movie and not the sequels, I kind of wish it ended with um, Bourne not going to see the girl. Like how she was him on his own, kind of trying to figure out his own life again. Um, instead of jumping right to where she is. I think it would have been a really cool, like kind of like not expected ending to his character as he's trying to relearn and figure himself out because he just, got, he just finds out that he's a secret weapon. And what does he do? He goes and finds the girl of his dreams, whatever. So I kind of wish they maybe set up for the sequel if they knew they're kind of, I know they didn't plan on a sequel right from the start here, but I kind of wish I kept that a little more open instead of him going there and having a big happy ending. This is, it didn't feel didn't feel right in this for this film for whatever reason for me. So both of those things, and I I haven't read the the books that these are based on. I've heard it's either. very loose. Like I've heard that there's okay. No, it's not. They don't really stick to the the book. But um, both of those things, though, I think you'll have a different opinion of that if you watch even the first half hour of the second one. But I see what you're saying, though. It, but I do and I don't because I, I liked him going to see her because I took that as he's made peace with his life. He thinks that he's, he thinks that it's over. Like he thinks that, cause you remember he tells, um he tells what's his name, uh, Conklin. Like, you know, if right, you try yeah. to, if you try to bring me back this, I will kill you. But as far he doesn't know the Conklin spoiler alert, Conklin gets killed like right at the end of this movie by someone else. So as far as he, I think him going to see her was him being like, all right, I'm done with this, this shit. Oh, no. And I, and I, and I, I didn't hate it, but I kind of wish we just, I kind of wish we was just figuring himself out first. Cause it's a pretty big reveal. Like he's been spending all this time trying to figure himself out who he is. And he thinks it's, it's, it's an assassin, this bad guy. <clears throat> um, but like you said, they weren't planning a sequel. They weren't planning this to make $260 million. I don't think in the box office. So I'm sure if they, they had that, if they knew that for sure, they may have kind of right. spaces out a little bit more, but. Right. So my thing that I would change is really two scenes. And the first one kind of ties into something that you said about when we were talking about my favorite scene being the showdown between Jason Bourne and Clive Owen's character. So the reason I love that scene, like I said, is because it was like this war of the minds. Like, yeah, they're, they can shoot guns and they, they can fight, but really it's like the mental game. The scene that drove me crazy this time is the first hit attempt on Jason Bourne where we've spent a, a half hour or so like slowly putting together that he's this highly skilled covert assassin, right? And we know that the government's looking for him, trying to get him, silence him, whatever. And you'd assume that they would do that with other people like him, like, like the Clive Owen character, right? Who would do, who would do it with tact like and just as we're thinking that some guy comes crashing through a window on a on a rope swing with a machine gun just like spraying and i was like 
that doesn't line up at all. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like it was just that, that was sloppy. And it, it, yeah. it was just, they would never, I don't know. It didn't line up with the plot. And then, so that's one. And then another one, the end where there's that showdown, <laughs> there's that showdown on the top floor apartment or whatever it was between Bourne and Conklin. I can talk about the guy when he's falling yeah. the guy falls down. I almost yes. made a note of that too. <laughs> yes. After, and the thing that kills you, right, <laughs> is it's after all this realistic fighting, low risk, like efficient moves that he makes, he decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to see this big fat guy, this big, big guy here. I'm going to ride him like a surfboard. So if you haven't seen the movie, he basically just decides to fall down like five stories on top of another guy and on the way down, shoot the bad guy, the, the one left, the one bad guy that's left, like as he's falling. And it's like that, it made even less sense because that bad guy that he was trying to get, a scene before that, he basically just opened the door and just started spraying the machine gun. Like he, nothing about him made you think like this guy's a skilled guy right he's right up the stairs he doesn't look up until the very last second like he could have been he does look up at always right up the stairs right, <laughs> he's right. Jason Bourne jumped it was basically it was basically me like if you were like eric you got to kill this guy all i would know to do would be like spray with the machine gun i don't know so i'm like jason did you really have to risk paralyzing yourself or dying you know to kill this guy who's nowhere near your league so that those, those two scenes it just it was the whole movie had this like you had built up this awesome character who doesn't take unnecessary risks. He just does what he needs to do and moves on. And then he flies out of off the fifth build, yeah. fifth, fifth story of a building. I don't know. It just it didn't make sense. And then I'm not a I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I think you could land on that guy all you want. You're still not gonna get up and walk away from that. Like that's I mean, it might save your life having a body to land on but yeah you, it, you're not gonna you're gonna be messed up so i i do I, what you said before though i really like thinking about thinking about what you said i really kind of wish this is the route that these films went on. i know i like the, the face on the books are however loose they are but they did have like a chess game between two sharpshooters i think that would have been a really cool story like as like the main story that like, then just kind of like cat and chasing each other and then maybe the sequel as they go after the guy who had like the hit on him or going after him, whatever. But that would have a really cool concept, just like a cat and mouse, like game of chess between these two super smart guys going after each other. I totally agree. The only thing is, I think that that's a different movie because I think the mess that Jason Bourne is in is is it's not him against Clive Owen. It's like him against the system, and so right, I kind of. I kind of think that's why they made Clive Owen die so fast is because they wanted to put out like, yeah, Clive's dead. And now there's another guy, like the guy, the guy from the wind, the guy that crashed through the windows dead. And now there's another guy. And now, you know what I mean? So it's like, he can't escape it. So I know, I know you probably haven't seen him in a while either, but what are the two about then? Cause is, is he so continuing like his. What were the other ones about? Yeah, like the second and okay. third movie. I'm like, all right, I don't even know if you've seen the fourth one with Matt Damon. He's in I haven't seen the Jason fourth Warren one as well. Okay. Yeah. So this, I don't know, and I didn't see. So I've only seen the first two, but the first, the second one, is about exactly that. Like he thinks, you know, spoiler alert: this movie ends, and Matt Damon has gone to Mykonos, and he's with Marie, and they're gonna start their life like post spy you know he's going to be just a, a civilian right and the second one starts where they're living that life and within the first five minutes 
that life they've been that life someone tries to someone finds them basically so yeah i just i i really think that you should watch the second one relatively soon because especially with this fresh in your mind yeah it's nice so anyways um we've come to the point of the podcast where you give our score on a scale of one to five would you pay a leaf would you mind paying a leafy to keep this movie so a score of one is low that's uh you get mad at Matt Damon, because he's this fisherman's trying to save his life and he just attacked him and he's just total ingrate. So you return the movie, you don't want to pay a leafy on it, all the way up to a score of five, which you're going to keep the movie for an extra day or two or three, pay lead fees on it, maybe even just buy it from the video rental score store. So, Joe, this is my pick. So you're going to give your score first. What did you think about the Born Identity? I, I liked it. I gave it a 3.75. Um, so I said the Born Identity is really good. And a smart action from that keeps the viewer guessing throughout. I remember until the very end, we're kind of trying to figure out if he's a good guy or the bad guy because he has good intentions throughout. Um, and it features some really great action sequences, both with hand-to-hand combat and a very, very good car chase sequence. Some of the characters didn't feel very important and probably could have been removed or substituted without much issue, as we talked about before. They could have had Julia Siles have another character who's already been on screen kind of take that role and like the guy, I forgot his name at the end now, who kind of initiates the computer. It's like the computer nerd at the end there who's uh, initiating the um, the final hit. That guy could have kind of played oh, two yeah, different yeah. roles, I felt like. like. So they could definitely substitute some characters around. Danny, um, I think his name was or something. Yes, yep. Looked like Master Harrison from Front End Lights. But yeah. <laughs> um, it's, not a film, it's not a film I love as much as other people do, but it does scratch that action ish with a very smart script and a story. So I really liked it. And I, like you said, I probably would check out the sequel very soon also so fresh my mind and another reason to check out the sequel is because like this one the sequel is like just under two hours so it's super rewatchable so we're pretty close on our scores i gave it a four out of five um i think it's important that i graded this one for what it is and what it was in 2002 so i'm not giving it bonus points or holding or taking points off for any sequel that should or should not have been made and i really really liked rewatching it i think this one kind of gets lost now because of the sequels and the franchise and because spy assassin movies after this they, there was like a, they were like a dime a dozen there was another one every six months so i think this kind of this one kind of gets lost in that but going back and rewatching it like you said it was a smart one a smart killer smart spy and this is the first time I'd watched it in 15 years or so, and I really enjoyed it. Cast is great. Shots of Europe are beautiful. It moves well. There wasn't really a point where I was like, come on, move the story along. And it's what brought it down for a bit for me is everything wasn't tied up perfectly. You do leave with some like, wait, what? You know what I mean? Like what, what was going on there? But it, that also has to do with the fact that it's a two-hour movie. So there's pros and cons of that. Like you, they probably could have stretched it out to two and a half hours and made you fully understand everything, but they didn't. They maybe rested a little bit, but I, I really enjoyed it. Four out of five. I love seeing like young Matt Damon again. Like, you know, you kind of forget how young he was and he did this and he was awesome. And I think that woman whose name I've mispronounced probably 10 times already, Franca Potent, Potente, whatever her name is, she was awesome. She was so good. I really liked her. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I this is a fun film, and I, it's good. It's you know, it's a good film when you're not getting motion sickness watching 
all the action, action sequences happen throughout. Like it's it, like I said, it was easy to follow, and it's it was just it's not a movie that I will be looking forward to watching a lot. But it honestly feels like it could have came out today, and I, I would have yeah. believed it. Um, just because you you brought up in your score the hand to hand combat, another scene that I loved is when he's like sleeping on that park bench in I can't remember what country he's in at that time, but the two cops come up to him and they basically think he's a homeless guy and he's sleeping on the bench, which like F you cops. He's not bothering anyone. He's sleeping on the freezing cold. Like, so, but if you haven't seen the movie, there's this moment where like he, cause he's still putting together who he is and what he can do. So one of the cops like grabs him and he just like, his body just naturally reacts and grabs the cops. I think he grabs the cops like nightstick or something. And he, there's this look of like, Oh shit. I know what I'm doing. And then he proceeds to take out the two cops in like two seconds. And you know what? They deserve that for <laughs> yeah. being a jerk to what they thought was a homeless person, not bothering anyone at like one in the morning. So, yeah. All right. Anyways, um, follow us on Instagram worth a late fee. Suggestions are always welcome. Um, we'll be back next week. And Joe has made me nervous about his pick because uh, he told me I probably wasn't going to like it. So, Joe, time to break the news. What are we what are we talking about next week? This is something I almost picked a couple of times when we were in the 90s and 80s and 70s era, but I couldn't because it'd be a birthday pick and I don't really want to waste on a birthday pick. So we are gonna be watching the 2008 classic Speed Racer. Oh god. That's a, that's not as bad as I okay. That's not that it could be it could be worse. Okay, good. Okay. I, I, I mean, I love this movie, so. Yeah, you would. I, was, I, I, I saw this in theaters when it first came out. They came out, I saw this in theaters. And I've seen it a few times, obviously, since then. I saw it probably the most, the last time I probably saw it was like three, four years ago. And I liked it then. So I'm sure I'm going to like it this time. But I'm very interested in your reactions towards it. I just looked it up. This movie's an hour, 135 minutes. <laughs> that is... <laughs> ridiculous boy are, you are not gonna I I, I I hope I'm surprised but I do not think you're gonna enjoy this one no, no. <laughs> all right guys well uh, if anyone wants to jump in and guest host next week and watch <laughs> watch Speed Racer so I don't have to feel free other than that we'll be back next week with uh, Joe's pick of Speed Racer talk to you then as always thank you <laughs>